0: to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, flow, freedom, agorism, anarchy, and more. Our mission is to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. I'm your host Mike the polymath Whistler coming from the easy peasy shop in Indianapolis Indiana the crossroads of America thanks for joining Stay the same cause it's all that you know. y'all welcome to episode 31 of the easy peasy podcast i'm here with jared now jared why don't you go ahead and kind of give us the lowdown on who you are where you come from all that jazz sure
1: uh i'm jared on discord i usually go by jared the permy guy so that kind of tells you where i'm coming from Uh, i'm living in columbia south carolina right now i came out here for work uh four years ago uh structural engineer by trade but trying my hand at some different stuff and trying to work myself out of a job if I can. So recently started a uh, kind of a lawn service business just to make some extra money. And then I heard Mike on Living Free in Tennessee and was like, man, that's where I'm trying to end up anyway. So see if we can get a hold of this guy and figure out how to make the same thing happen out here.
0: Right on. Yeah. I actually, I had a couple other folks reach out too, very similar to kind of what you were asking, like you know nice. how do I do this right? So I figured we'd just make a make an episode out of it. And you know, I you reached out. Um, was it on Instagram? I think it yeah. was. Yeah. So I checked out your Instagram, and it looks like you're you know similar age, younger guy. Um, looks like you're into like punk rock and shit like that. Is that right? Uh,
1: yeah. That's that was life until 2020.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's been. So, it's
1: been 18 months I've been been to a concert something like that I was the our stop on the Silverstein tour last spring was the last stop they did before the whole tour was canceled for COVID Mm. um so yeah I was I was going to shows up until the last day
0: yeah well shit man uh were you it looked like you were playing in a band or something or was I mistaken
1: uh so I had a, a guest spot um at all the shows I would go to for my buddy's band uh back in St. Louis Okay. So Time that they did a show, there was uh, one verse in one of their songs that I would do.
0: Right on, right on. So what do you play? Yeah. Or, I just you, sing. You just sing. Cool, cool, yes, cool, sir. cool. So how'd you get into permaculture?
1: Uh, Jack Spearco. I I've been trying to like trace the idea back to its origin, mm. like as far as it came to me, and I just mm-hmm. can't do it. There was just some point in like 2016 that he came onto my radar. And luckily enough, it was like a permaculture episode really early on in the survival podcast after I found it. Hmm. And I was like, this just changes everything. Just yeah. put my life upside down, turned the whole focus. I had gone out of school with this particular company and wanted to stay with them. You know, I was just convinced that's what I wanted to do until I retired. Um, and just through.
0: This was engineering. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, just through the way kind of my mindset was changing over the past few years and the way the company has changed in the opposite direction and the way I've gotten, you know, especially with permaculture, but just other interests in general, fallen out of love with the engineering work and fallen really deeply in love with, you know, just working with my hands generally, but specifically Mm -hmm. like growing plants and actually like bringing in food and designing gardens, all that different stuff. Um, just trying to work my way tour that is my main source of income. Because right now for a few years I've been at the point of saying that engineering is just my best paying skill right now.
0: Mm -hmm. So I've got
1: to gotta level up those other skills to get to where they're paying the bills.
0: Well part of me wishes I had like gotten a degree in engineering because I think that just applies like so broadly, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it (laughs) certainly uh, can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as far as like, you know, you're you're more interested in actually trying to make a living, being an entrepreneur. It sounds like, and maybe doing the gardening thing. Yep. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's exactly yeah. right. Me and my wife have been like uh, doing reselling on eBay and Amazon since September.
0: Oh, cool. Uh, that's
1: that's bringing in a pretty good amount of money, um, but it's still not not nearly to the point to replace you know an engineer salary.
0: Yeah, you know it's. It's interesting. You say that one of the early guests on this podcast is a guy I know who's a local poet. Uh, his name's Mm -hmm. Luke and that's how he makes his living. You know, he's got some published, he's got a couple of books out there you can buy on Amazon, this and that, but he, uh, he makes the majority of his income doing eBay, you know, resell and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's kind of one of those things that Nicole and I were talking on that, on that episode on living free in Tennessee about not putting all of your eggs in one basket, you know, you know, I've been tempted to go out and buy myself a third pickup truck because I think I could turn it over. You know, it looks like a really good deal an old Toyota and uh, you know, if I can get it running good and just turn around and sell it, I could probably make five, six grand. Um, But it's kind of like, that eBay world, you know, there's there's the potential to do a full time income just with that, but it's cool oh, that yeah. you kind of you've got that in your back pocket, right? <laughs>
1: yeah, absolutely, and it's something that can scale whenever I'm ready for it, too. Basically, yeah,
0: you know, like it's so just
1: whatever whatever I want to put into it.
0: What kind of stuff are you guys selling?
1: So it depends. the The eBay stuff has been a lot slower lately. Well, they they kind of both have because um, we've taken some time. Back from really pouring money into it because they were i mean our <laughs> it was like our most recent trip to tj maxx we spent a thousand dollars on inventory
0: what uh, so you're like buying stuff at tj maxx and then selling it on ebay yeah <laughs> uh
1: on amazon usually
0: um uh, oh, so I was, i've got a few
1: things on the bed here um we found these chap shirts uh most recently just like standard button-up shirts yeah like f- 15 bucks at tj maxx are going for 45 on amazon pretty consistent um, and then a lot of uh, cookware has been killing for us lately. As soon as it gets to the warehouse, it's sold.
0: Weird cookware, huh?
1: Yeah, like like good stuff. It's uh, I think this is either Calphalon or Allclad. Both of those have done really well for us.
0: Funny. I would never have thought.
1: It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's weird. That's why you just got to check everything.
0: Yeah, That's you know, I met, a, I met a guy just the other day who... Like he said, you know, he's a young guy. He's still in college. I think he just turned twenty-one, and he said he spent the last two years buying up kayaks and reselling them. You know, nice. he'd he'd buy them from Dicks and from you know other places, you know, sporting goods stores, uh, sure. outfitters. He'd kind of like buy up a bunch of kayaks and then sell them on Craigslist. And I, it's hard to believe you can make a profit doing that, but <laughs> yeah. He's like, I would just buy everybody out of their stock and you know turn around and sell it, you know, because I guess the market was hot for kayaks these past couple of years, so that's wild, you know. You don't Man, you
1: gotta have mad storage space for those.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think his folks had some land, so and he had like gotcha. a truck and trailer, um, which actually makes me um think to ask you a question, right? So you're thinking about maybe starting up some kind of gardening business, uh, maybe similar to what I do. And it makes me curious sort of where you stand as far as what your equipment is looking like. You know, I guess before we go there, I'll just say that the plan, you know, for you listeners out there, the plan for this interview is to kind of almost turn the tables a little bit and let Jared ask me questions because uh, he's curious how I got started. But this is a good place to maybe start to know where you're at as far as what your capabilities are and what your equipment is and sort of, you know, we can take it from there, I guess.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I've got a old Chevy pickup truck. We got it a couple of years ago for a thousand dollars. My man runs and does Something what about- she has you. Everything about it is manual. It's a, it's a one, but it, it didn't mm-hmm. have any of the O one upgrades.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so crank windows, stick shift,
1: uh, it's auto- automatic transmission so okay, the only okay. Thing automatic yeah
0: I get you I get you yeah so thousand buck truck I I own one thousand buck truck and then my other you know is 1400 but that's damn near a thousand bucks too that's yeah, awful close Some, something about buying a truck for a thousand bucks right
1: just feels good <laughs> yeah. feels good like I mean you just take take care of it with the simple stuff and after mm-hmm. that it's like anything major happens you're like Uh, you're not my problem anymore. You're the next guy's problem. I I ain't spending more than you're worth.
0: Maybe so. Maybe so. I've almost got the attitude of like, even if the tranny went out on my, on my truck, I almost think I'd rather go buy another, you know, thousand buck truck and pull the tranny out of it. Sure. Instead of signing a lease or trying to track down. That's the thing. I, you know, redundancy is my middle name. I think these days and, um, I was telling you before we started recording, I believe that I'm tempted to buy a third pickup uh, because I found a good deal. And it's like, when you see a good deal, you know, 2,500 bucks for, you know, a truck and a bunch of extra parts, you know, I told you it's got a couple backup motors. It's hard to turn something like that down because, you know, if something does break down, it's good to have at least one backup. You know, Spearco always says two is one, one is none, you know, and that goes on and on and on. Yeah. Three three for me, four is more, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But uh, that's cool, man. So I guess my only point is that don't throw that thousand buck truck away. Even if something goes wrong, like see, see if you can fix it. If you got sure. to put another thousand bucks into it, that's still a hell of a lot cheaper than uh, buying something new or even, you know, gently used or whatever. Yeah.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, especially the market right now. It took us nine oh, months. I'd been in the market for a SUV trying to find something. It, it, I was wanting a Forester, but every Forester mm. and Outback we could find like the day it was posted, it was sold.
0: I used to have a little green subaru forester it was it was a great car man i man. tore that thing around utah like it was nobody's business oh i Not had sure. a good time it, you know sure. for for a fucking hatchback uh you know basically a station wagon shrunk yeah. down station wagon that thing was like a little rally car it was awesome yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: They're good little cars and everybody knows it and that's the problem yeah
0: yeah yeah, yeah.
1: so know, anyways you got a truck
0: soon. i assume you've got some amount of tools yeah
1: yeah, I've got, uh, you know, lawnmower, uh, and then on the DeWalt 20-volt platform, we've got the weed eater, the pole saw, I mm-hmm. just ordered the, the, the like, extension pole weed eater, because I need to get a weed eater for a couple jobs coming up, I figured mm-hmm. I would just get the, the extension one, uh, give me more, like, versatility with that, uh, and then as far as, like, drills, saws, all that good stuff, I got all of it, yeah.
0: All oh, there. shit, man, you're ready jig- to start. Building. <laughs> you're, you're ready to go, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. Jigs,
1: jigsaw, sawzall, you know, circular saw, the you got a uh, plug in chop saw, like anything. Have you ever,
0: wise. have you ever heard of the Craig jig?
1: I think you mentioned it. That's what you use with your That's beds to, I, sink, to sink the heads, right?
0: Yeah. You'll sink the screws. Yeah. So. For anyone out there that's interested in making a side hustle or a full-time business out of building raised bed gardens, I have found that this is the system to use. K-R-E-G, Craig. It's just one G, right? Are you Googling it over there? Yeah, it's just one. Yeah, so it's what's called a pocket hole jig and you clamp it on the end of your lumber and you drill an angled pocket hole, which... Serves the purpose of giving you a really strong joint between, like right angles, or even butt to butt. Sort of, um, you know, if you were to sink two pieces of lumber together in 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 line, um, it drills this like fifteen degree angle, I believe, into the. I'm not sure if 15's right. Who
1: cares? That's about right. Yeah. But
0: it's an optimal angle for a really strong joint. And what it does, you know, everybody and their mother puts a 4 by 4 post in the corner of their raised beds and sinks screws into that, right? Yep,
1: that's exactly what we did.
0: Yeah, you know, because it's easy and it's obvious and it works, right? But if you yep. get one of these pocket hole jigs, it negates the need for that 4 by 4 post. So, number one, you're saving on lumber. And number two, that's 16 square inches, I mean, not actually, not actually, because a four by four is actually three and a half by three and a half, but I don't feel like doing that. (laughs) So we'll say it saves you, you know, 13 to 15 square inches of soil space where you can put feasibly at least one plant, you know, and I tend to plant, I tend to plant perennial herbs in that corner. You know, I like to put sage or thyme or rosemary or lavender. Mm -hmm. In the corners, just because they're beautiful, and that way you know where it is, and you're not going to accidentally get rid of it because it's mm-hmm. going to come back the next season. Um, remind me where you said you're at. I I assume we're in similar climates.
1: Uh, Columbia, South Carolina. I should be South a zone or two warmer than you.
0: Yeah, you are warmer. You are warmer, but um, you know, point remains: if you can just negate the need for that four by four corner post, right? Yeah, you're saving money, and you've increased your your soil space, your plantable space. So that's just one of these little tricks I've kind of figured out, you know?
1: Yeah, that would have been really handy. We just replaced our back porch on the house uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. And we put some uh, two by fours or two by sixes, whatever, running down the middle of the, you know, perlins going full width just to brace that. And we just toe- toenail the screws in there because we didn't have a nice jig like this so
0: you know and so you, you can what it
1: would have proved its worth already
0: yeah you can you can toenail stuff pretty well and i i've found where i can just avoid using the jig for the sake of saving time basically i use toe screws um whenever i'm whenever i don't need to hide the the screw head the beauty of this this system is then you have these little pocket holes on the outside of your raised bed that you can slide a little plug into a little dowel pin and, uh, and hide your hardware. I have no exposed hardware on my raised beds. It's just one of those little kind of extra details that, you know, I doubt the client ever even notices, but that's the beauty is they don't, they don't notice, you know, there's yeah. no screws. It's just clean looking. And, yeah. um, but, you know, at the same time I used to get carried away, I would I would drill all these pocket holes and I would take all this extra time. And I would basically, you know, the, the special screws that you're supposed to use uh, they're not cheap. So I was wasting time. I was wasting money anywhere. I found it wasn't necessary to pre-drill those pocket holes. I just said, screw it. And I do toe screws, but sure, Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. So does that, I mean, that's one thing about the easy piece easy peasy system that I, you know, it's like my secret, um, tips and tricks, but you got, you got questions, I think, don't you, you want to know how, how I, how I started doing this stuff. Right.
1: Yeah. So the, the hardest thing for me, just getting off the ground here and it, I say hardest, but it really hasn't been that bad. It's mostly in my head. So I'm, Mm. I'm super introverted Mm. except in situations like this, like one-on-one, you know, we can talk all day, sure or just a couple people whatever but in in like groups or just approaching strangers doesn't happen um but you know funnily enough i've got five clients now three-ish weeks in um so it's it's gotten off to a better start than i even expected and they just keep you know coming in but how how did you get a hold of your first clients and then i guess from there were you able to start getting more from people referring
0: Mm-hmm. You know, their mm-hmm. friends
1: and family or was it all just lead you had to find basically
0: i have not had to do hardly any marketing uh it's been almost entirely word of mouth the one thing Wonderful. i did was when i first started i i reached out to anybody i knew like friends of my parents i reached out to my friend's parents, you know, it's like, I grew up in a fairly wealthy suburb. So I had that advantage and I used it. I fucking used it. Right. Like yep. I called a bunch of people. I probably made 30 or 40 phone calls just nice. telling people what I was doing. Um, which I feel you like I'm kind of introverted myself. You know, I always say that I think that whole introvert extrovert thing is a bit of a oversimplification, you know, it's like, but I, I, I tend not to do so well in big like group settings either, unless I feel totally anonymous. I love going to shows and shit like that, but like, you know, parties, that's probably why I started smoking cigarettes was like, it's a nice way to get the hell out of the fucking commotion and just go catch a moment. Right. Yeah. But, um, but it wasn't so hard to just pick up the phone and call people one at a time. And I just, I just kept at it. Um, And before you know it, I got, you know, like you said, you got five people lined up, it sounds like. So are these all people that want raised bed gardens?
1: No, this is, we got three like mowing weed eating clients now. We've Mm -hmm. got one friend who actually just approached us out of the blue. They're wanting their backyard redone. Uh, So that's going to be like garden design. And there's one older couple that's got this absolutely amazing garden that consumes the entire front and back yard of their house that they've been working on for like 35 years mm. so i'm just there to help them keep keep up with the upkeep and keep yeah. it looking beautiful
0: and it's weed just, it. it is an
1: absolute there's not a weed on it it's yeah. just a treat to just be in that place it's like i've got a couple temple here and like a meditation yeah. spot here and an art studio
0: I've got a couple clients like that and it's really, it it is a pleasure because they've done so much of the groundwork that it's just nice to be in the space and just maintaining it, keeping it looking good. Um, Yeah, (laughs) that's cool, man. You know, I'll, I'll say, you know, and this is just my experience, you know, because I did start kind of similarly to you where I had a mower and a weed eater and I was, you know, using sort of lawn care to fill the schedule Um, while seeking out gardening clients and it it didn't take very long before it got to the point where the lawn care was more of a liability than an asset for me how so um in that you have to you have to get to each of those clients every week right yeah you got to mow that grass one way or another and if it rains on the day that you plan to get there you got to do it the day after yeah. If it rains two days, you got to get there. You know, it doesn't yeah. matter if yeah, it's the Sunday. Really up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it had an an effect that I I found was just, and partly this is maybe because I'm I'm almost inherently undisciplined, <laughs> 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 and I have to live. You know, that's why gardening appeals to me is that, uh, you know, I get to sort of flow with the seasonality of things, and sure. I just found that having those you know, I had about four or five lawn care clients and I just found that maintaining those four or five clients for the, you know, 40 bucks, 50 bucks, it was to mow their grass every week. It was just almost more of a headache than, than the money was worth. That's That's not to say that you can't, I almost think it wouldn't be a bad idea to build up sort of a successful lawn care company, you know, get that client base and try to sell them on the gardening. Um, That's maybe not a bad way to go if you have a certain amount of discipline, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. But for me, it was easier to find the people interested in gardening and gardening alone, and most of them have a lawn care company already. Right? Does that does a pretty kick ass job, you know? And yeah, so it's kind of like finding that niche. It's just like why why should I try to cover two niches when I make a hell of a lot more money? building a garden in any given day than I ever did mowing grass you know
1: yeah yeah it's just the nature of the beast between the two that's Mm -hmm. that was kind of a a question I was kind of reeling in my head as you were talking there um yeah I guess you've explained your path and I'm trying to figure out whether it's gonna be better for me to even can continue to put out marketing for the lawn care stuff or just Mm -hmm. have these few people I've got steady income coming in now and just shift all the marketing to be garden design, landscape architecture, whatever,
0: just mm-hmm.
1: push it all into that bucket. Just be like, these are my lawn people. I'm kind of stuck with them now. Cause that's what I've got.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not just
1: going to throw them to the curb and they got nobody again, but really just push the marketing toward, you know, I'm making gardens.
0: Well, here's another thought for you, right? So I started out the first two or three years uh i had kind of my my members and then my non-members and now i'm at the point where i am members only nice so that's a good way to kind of transition um it's like those non-member clients they were sort of i i i thought of them as a la carte clients I would respond as needed, as requested. Mm-hmm. And um, and it was a good way to keep the schedule full, keep the cash flowing. But when it got to the point where I sort of felt I was spread a little bit too thin, it made it a lot easier to kind of fire people as clients, to be able to say, hey, I'm shifting to becoming a members only business where, unless you are a member of the garden club and I'm maintaining your, your veggie garden. um, I won't, I won't work for you, but if you are a member, I'm happy to trim your trees, trim your shrubs, you know, build your, you know, deck, like do do your, you know, French drains when you have a drainage problem, this and that, you know, this is kind of part of what I talk about when it comes to being a polymath is, I would probably eventually get bored if I, all I did was build raised beds, but when you have this membership deal and, you know, so right now I've got about two dozen members in my business and, you know, probably three quarters of them just take advantage of the vegetable gardening stuff. But that other quarter, they've got big projects for me. You know what I mean? So I, I do their gardens, but then they also want me to build them a pergola or a play set or a rain garden, you know, a berry patch, backyard orchard. You know, th- those are your really like valuable clients. Yeah. And everybody else, they're pretty low maintenance. You know, you just do their gardening, um, their veggie gardening and everything else, you know, they've got other people or they do it themselves. But you know, that really like high-end VIP client, you know, that's the one you want to make happy. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: That's the guy you bend over backward for.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, so I guess it's just kind of an obvious follow-on from there. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that the membership doesn't get them all of that labor from you for free for a, like month to month. That's still a la carte items on top of their membership, for the, the normal garden maintenance?
0: The way I do it, and I'm not sure if it's perfect, like I'm, I'm developing it still and adapting it year by year. But what the membership does include is a once a month visit,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, in that amount of time. And I always try to do it when the client is available to talk face to face. So I view it as it covers that one visit. It doesn't cover any materials used. It doesn't cover any extra work that I do. You know, if they say, hey, while you're here, can you clean my gutters? Like, yeah, I'm going to charge for that. Right. (laughs) Okay. Um, But it covers the mobilization and the and the consultation. We'll call it we'll call it that. Right. Gotcha. Yeah.
1: Okay. That makes a lot of sense.
0: But if there's extra time involved, usually those visits, if there's nothing extra, it's 40 minutes at most, maybe an hour if they're feeling extra chatty. So I tend to schedule like five to seven clients a day for my sort of garden maintenance rounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I'll try to get to seven people and I have to text the last two and say, hey, sorry, it's not going to happen. You know, yeah. um, I'll be there tomorrow or the day after or whatever. Uh but yeah, it's that way you're not you're not giving the expectation that you'll do just anything for them while you're there. Right. Like it has to be pretty clear from the start. This membership covers sort of these services and these services alone. Anything extra, you know, I'm happy to do it, but we're gonna have to, you know, bill you for it. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I'm
1: sure you can even market that as like the additional services being at a lower fee than non-members, especially now that you're at the point where you're only servicing members, you know, it's kind of a saying something but not saying anything. Mm-hmm. But it, it just kind of, that it's like a little marketing thing where it's going to click in their head. Like, you know, Mike's probably going to be better price-wise than somebody else because I don't have a relationship with that somebody else.
0: So, so I did that exact thing um, the first two years or so where I kind of advertised that my member rate was $20 an hour versus my non-member rate was 40 And frankly, um, I didn't like it. I didn't like it because I don't know if it's anybody's business what your hourly rate is because yeah. I think it depends on the job.
1: Absolutely. It's
0: a bit arbitrary, and that's why you give people an estimate. Because based on the difficulty of the job, you might say, I'm gonna charge $60 an hour versus your typical like stuff that you just knock out, like no problem, you know, Mm -hmm. 25, 30, 40, like whatever seems reasonable for your market and you know, sort of the client you're serving but I almost think that it's okay to have a bit of a sliding scale. And I hate to even put it this way, but I'll even kind of categorize clients as sort of high income and not, not to say that like anybody I serve, most of my, most of my clients are sort of upper middle class, but some are more middle class and some are more upper class. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. And I don't know if that seems unfair, but I, frankly, I don't give a shit. Um, like fair. I kind of have a bit of an arbitrary sliding scale where I figure if they're willing to pay it, they don't need to know what the rate is. That's yeah. that's my basic point. Um, and again, that's kind of the benefit of shifting eventually away from even serving non-members is, mm-hmm. you know, the first couple of years I had this list of like membership benefits, right? Sort of, you know, discounted labor rate, like priority scheduling, you know, and all this stuff. And frankly, the longer the list of promises, the more complicated it gets to keep the yeah. promise. Um, I don't know if that all makes sense, but yeah, i yeah, found no, simple. I found simple is good. You know, that's yeah. why easy peasy. I, That's right, man. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's all it is. Yeah. I can, I can understand how it could quickly get out of hand, especially because right now I'm just working on a handshake and my word. Mm -hmm. So it's about as simple as it can get.
0: It's interesting. Like I really, I, I do have a membership agreement that I had a, I wouldn't even call him like a close friend or anything, but a, an acquaintance who's a lawyer. I had him write up a simple sort of membership agreement that, basically is there to protect me. Um, you know, it, it, says that I'm not liable for any damages to property and blah, 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 blah. But uh, I almost wish I, I didn't even need that. I, I kind of want to just operate on a handshake, you know? <laughs> yeah. And if I don't get a good like vibe, if I don't trust the person, I found that when you meet somebody and you just don't get a good vibe on them, but they're really kind of like, they seem eager for your service. It's almost better to trust your gut. Even if they're willing, they they're seemingly willing to pay. It's like, if they're giving you a weird vibe, it's almost better not to even work for them in the first place.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can get that. Yeah. Yeah. That's good to keep in mind. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of answered this one already, but I, I'm gonna go ahead and ask it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, knowing from your interview with Nicole, that your selling point was you know, like, one of your major selling points was that these are really nice, clean beds. You know, it's yeah. a high end, high end product. Mm-hmm. It seems to me like a product like that is going to be necessary in wealthy neighborhoods. Do you have anything for poorer neighborhoods? Cause we're like hood adjacent currently. Sure. And even on like with my posting in next door, you know, several neighborhoods around can see it. And the, mm-hmm. I got a guy, uh, that's 15 minutes away that contacted me. So within 15 minutes, there's a whole range of incomes near me, but it seems sure. like everybody interested is like lower middle income so mm-hmm. far. So I don't know how well I can upsell them to, you know, a, yeah, a, some, yeah. some sort of premium product.
0: Yeah. It's tough, man. Cause, uh, Frankly, my goal is to take upper class income and channel it into community gardens, right? Beautiful. Um, I just don't know if it's really even sustainable to try to sell a garden to a lower income person. If you catch my drift, right? Because as much as you wanna give them the garden, if you can't give it to them and get enough back to keep going and build the next garden, what, what good is it? So in a sense, I'm hoping to get to a point in terms of sort of momentum and, um, you know, finding that sweet spot of what to charge that sort of upper class client To where there's a big enough profit margin that I can take a good chunk, you know, and, you know, say 50% of the profit margin goes directly into community garden projects. Nice. And I almost see that as more long term, like beneficial than building backyard gardens in low income neighborhoods, because community gardens, just by nature, if you, if you sort of make one space, a, you know, a large scale garden, you can grow enough food for many households versus your typical backyard garden that doesn't do that, you know? <laughs> right, right. So and you've
1: also always got eyes on it too. If it's, you know, yeah. families work in multiple jobs or whatever, mm-hmm. they can't get out and tend to, tend to it themselves, but they can tend to it when they can and still be a part of the community garden. Yeah, sense. I
0: think, I think in a sense, like nutshell, like backyard gardens make sense in high income neighborhoods, community gardens make sense in low income neighborhoods, strictly based on like necessity and um, the style of community. I think if you build a community garden in an upper class neighborhood, chances are it's going to fall into disrepair because people don't need it. You know yeah. what I mean?
1: Yeah, that's fair.
0: You don't have the buy-in. You don't have the need. But if you sell the upper-class client, the idea of we can keep your salad bowl full for nine months out of the year and you can brag to your freaking, you know, know, whatever bingo (laughs) friends or whatever the fuck you do, Pilates, yoga friends, whatever, your golf party, like, yeah. You know, when you have your little dinner party, you know, Hey, this is, you know, a salad that came out of the garden, you know, and people love being able to buy bragging rights, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, I have no shame in sort of, um, I, you could almost call it profiteering on like the wealthy person's instinctual knowledge that they, they need to grow some food for themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
1: And just, they know, it, the
0: ego they know it just like the rest of us. The thing is they're not willing to like put the work in, you know? Yeah, that's fair.
1: Um,
0: So again, I, I won't say any one way is correct. This is just sort of what I've come to believe is like, I don't think it's even worth, you know, it takes so much effort to sort of get that client to begin with. If it's not somebody that's going to create a profit, it's like, I just don't think it's worth putting that time in until you're willing or until you're capable of, Doing it philanthropically. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. That yeah. Makes sense. So I gotta, I gotta find either this is something that I talked about with uh my coach earlier this week. I it's either like finding a way to excuse me, um, like use salvage materials to sell to the people around me, because that's how we got mm-hmm. our all of our first beds in. There yeah. were some sheds that were falling apart in the backyard and I tore those down. And all the usable lumber became the garden beds. Mm -hmm. It's like find some way like that to sell to the people in my area, or I've got to find a way to get a foot in the door, you know, somewhere in the nicer neighborhoods. The problem that also I'm I'm thinking both, man.
0: I'm thinking both. both. Yeah. So it'd be so cool if you've got the fortitude right to salvage materials. Again, like I personally, I have limited storage capacity where my business is currently set up. Mm Um, but I would love if I had say enough open ground to be pulling pallets back home, right. Or whatever salvage material, you know, old roofing tin, you know, corrugated metal, right. Yeah. And, uh, and be turning, like you said, turning those salvage materials into sort of highly affordable gardens. Right. But that's a lot of labor involved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is why I've primarily focused on selling gardens to people who can afford to pay the premium price because it's just logistically way simpler to go to the hardware store and get the lumber, you know, for sure. Um, but like I said, you know, if you could find some kind of balance where anytime you see a stack of pallets, if you got a place to throw them, you know, take them home. And then, yeah, when you've got free time on a Saturday, like break them apart, salvage those pieces of, you know, one by four or whatever it is and turn them into, you know, simple little raised beds, uh, for people that don't want to spend a thousand bucks, you know, sell it for a hundred bucks, you know? Yeah. 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 That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I have to figure out where to go with that.
0: You know, uh, again, I almost think you don't want to spread yourself too awful thin, kind of like. Yeah, especially figure, right out the get go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you got to figure out what's making your time worthwhile first and maybe take it from there. But 10%. I think it's all good ideas. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's just yeah. <laughs> it's especially good if you've got unlimited time and unlimited budget,
0: which none of us have or <laughs> right. unlimited you know energy, right? Like you can yeah. only do so much in a day. So for sure. You know, if it's between making, you know, 400 bucks or making 50 bucks, I'm going to make 400, <laughs> you yeah, know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Do you have issues with HOAs in the, like the wealthier neighborhoods? I feel like all of the neighborhoods here where it's, you know, bigger, pricier houses are mm-hmm. all newer construction because this area has kind of expanded so quickly. It's all newer yeah. construction that have all got HOAs. You'll find like, a nice house here or there on the lake that's been there for 20 or so years before the area really took off. But most of it is new construction, like strict HOAs. You got to send them a model of your fence. If you're putting in Mm. a fence like that, the whole nine yards.
0: Yeah. So I have not had a whole lot of trouble. Um, Partly because I, I make it clear that it's not on me to know your HOA policies. Like,
1: for sure. And it shouldn't be expected.
0: No, that's on you. Um, yeah, I'll give you a design if you need one to submit to the HOA, blah, blah, blah. But again, this is kind of one of the benefits of being more specialized is like fences. Yeah. A lot of times fences need a lot of scrutiny from the HOA, but if you're putting something in that is not a quote unquote permanent structure, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we talked about this on, uh, on living free in Tennessee, it's like just using the proper wordage, you know, it's like, this is not a permanent structure. It's not a, it's not a fence. It's not a, you know, shed, it's a raised bed, you know, and it can easily be picked up and gotten rid of. Uh, But I found that as long as it's built in a place that it's out of sight from the road and it's not near the property line and, you know, there, I've had one client that had a little bit of a, you know, he got some kind of notice saying that this thing was too close to the property line, but he just ignored it and nothing <laughs> ever happened. So it's like, you know, we've just always operated from a point of view of like, better to ask forgiveness than permission. You know, what yeah. we're building is aesthetically pleasing. It's, you know, we're not going to let it turn into a pile of weeds. Like, You know, as long as nobody complains, you can pretty much do damn near anything, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think you're taking the right approach with that out, out here. Like most of the yards I see, it seems like everybody thinks that the HOA rules are a lot more serious than they are.
0: Mm -hmm. They don't, Mm -hmm. they
1: don't put anything anywhere and just leave everything bald. You know, it's just lawn. We're not going to set a, set a lawn chair out of place. Mm -hmm. Not doing nothing. So they're not going to, you know, find whatever soccer mom doesn't have a job anymore. And this is her job now is to be the cop.
0: You know, I did, I had a nosy neighbor on my last big build, you know, I'm putting in like a really elaborate rain garden. And it's because this client, their backyard is kind of the low point, like all the Mm -hmm. water runs to them and it pools up and it turns into like mosquito breeding grounds. And this client came over while I was doing, doing the job. And she's all worried that like what we're doing is going to affect her property. And I'm like, Hey, you know, like you are uphill from here. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like nothing we do will affect you. If anything, it's only going to benefit you, you know, like we're getting rid of the water. Um, So, you know, try not to give us a hard time about it, but you're right. There are some like busybody types, you know, what 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 we've come to call like Karens, which I hate to even say because my mother's name is Karen. Oh, she's, man. she's a sweet lady. <laughs> but, you know, it's like uh, you do you do have to keep it into consideration. Like I've only done a couple of front yard gardens and that's to me unfortunate. Like I've yeah. gotten more like word of mouth referrals from those clients that I've built stuff for in the front yard than anybody else. Cause you know, sure. cause obviously, right. Yep. You know, it gets more visibility. They've literally had people walk up and knock on the front door and say, who built this for you? You know? Awesome. So I want to build as many as I can in the front yard, but I'll really only do that. If I'm, if I'm specifically asked, and if I know for a fact that there is not an HOA, yeah, you know that's been the case. Luckily for those few, but yeah, it's it's too bad. You know the HOAs are really a thorn in the side. You know,
1: yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Do you have um, in the areas where you work a lot of like tall trees in the area? Because the closest neighborhoods around me is all like old growth forests that they mm-hmm. just like cut out. You know, lots for houses, but left a whole bulk of the trees. Yeah. So in my most immediate neighborhood, there's nowhere that's going to get full sun mm-hmm. and some of the yards, like literally don't even support a lawn because they're not getting <laughs> that much sun. Yeah. So I don't know if you've had to work around like extreme shade like that to try and have any sort of value sell to those people, or that just would be an area that you wouldn't bother with.
0: It's a really good question. Um, Cause site selection is the first priority. Yeah. Oh when i get called out for a consultation somebody interested in getting something installed like first thing i do i i always hope actually that they don't notice i pull up like i used to text people and be like 5 minutes out and now i text them and be like i'll be there around 7 or whatever right and i yeah. show up at 650 cuz i want to look around without being disturbed and i want to be able to like what I'm always looking for is I'm, I'm orienting myself to the South. Right. And I'm looking up and I'm looking for that wedge of sky, you know, even if it's only, you know, ideally it'll be 55 degrees or wider of open sky. Right. So if you've got trees lining a postage, you know, postage stamp lawn and you've only got like a 30 degree window of sunlight, forget about it you know forget about it but if you can find that spot where you can point it to the south and it's going to get eight to ten to twelve hours of sun yeah it's worth doing at that point yeah yeah,
1: yeah. we're working <clears throat> with just just about that 30 degree mark here
0: um mm. our,
1: our backyard where we've got all of our veggie production gets you know in the summer when the sun's high about four hours of sunlight a day it's Well, you know, it's it's rough to keep it going.
0: (laughs) It's it's a tall order to like ask people to cut down trees. But if you ever do get somebody that is like really serious about trying to grow some food. And you say, look, to do this, we're going to have to cut down some trees. But we can use those trees to build the beds. Yeah. Boom. Nailed. Like, even if you're using logs that are, you know. Ten inches around or whatever, you can you can manage to build sort of a rudimentary. I've used logs that I cut into sections that were twelve or fourteen inches tall, and then Mm -hmm. I stood them up on end in line. I saw that. Yeah, and you know, put them in a trench and locked them in with gravel so they'd stay upright, and Mm -hmm. backfilled it with premium soil. And you know, if you can use on-site materials like rock and roll, you know. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you've clearly got the, uh, the problem solving
0: mm-hmm.
1: going on in your head as you're hearing these problems. Yeah. yeah, well,
0: as we say in permaculture, the problem is the solution, you know? 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Yep. I love it.
1: Um, is there a maximum distance away from you that you take jobs? Do you have a hard line? I mean, I'm sure, you know, as we've been saying, if you're going to make $12,000 to go 50 feet past the line, you're going to go 50 feet past the line.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: is there is there any general you know for your taste
0: well it's of course again something we say in permaculture it depends right right it depends uh you know for instance i was willing to travel a thousand miles to do a job that had nothing to do with gardening because it paid 500 a day and it was two straight weeks of work and expenses were covered, travel and otherwise and wow. yeah you know, so it all depends but that that particular situation was really difficult to balance again I was spreading myself kind of thin where basically I was disappearing for two weeks at a time and I was getting you know contacted by clients saying hey like we need this or that and I would have to say hey I'm not going to be back in town for, nine more days or whatever, it became very difficult to balance those two things. But as far as what I've kind of like landed on at this point in time, I tend to serve anybody that's within an hour, hour, hour and a half drive. Wow. Yeah, if, if they're willing to pay me what I want, I'm happy to drive an hour. Now that for me makes a lot of sense because I'm in this spot where an hour in every direction is kind of like either urban or suburban it's not a lot of not a lot of country i'm kind of right in the middle of indianapolis and uh anyways an hour hour and a half makes a lot of sense for me but if you live in you know a place where you're not close to any major market you might have to expand that
1: yeah 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 that's gonna keep in mind um do you carry insurance for the business?
0: I do or is it okay. yeah yeah
1: so even on top of the agreement that it's not your fault from the start you do carry insurance
0: Yeah, I always figured better safe than sorry um you know obviously I carry like commercial auto insurance that's kind of like number one uh-huh. um and then I also carry you know contractor you know liability insurance. Just in case, you know, I hit a fiber optic cable or, you know, I I always call in my locates and this and that, but you never know. You might hit some, you know, I did a job where in hindsight, I was like, damn, I really hope I didn't pack too much gravel into this area next to the pool deck to where I might have created sort of undue pressure on the pool. Yeah. And created a problem for this freaking pool. You know that we're talking a hundred thousand bucks to fix that. Probably, yeah. You know, so yeah. I, but I almost wish I had taken the approach early on of uh, limiting the scope of the jobs that I would take. If all you do, say, if you're doing this as a side hustle, right, just on weekends, building nothing but raised beds and maybe doing like lawn care, right. You're not digging, you're not building fences, you're not building pergolas, you know, when you start getting into that, like next tier of sort of the scale of the projects, mm-hmm. that's when you really do need to cover your ass. But if I was just building raised beds in people's backyards, kind of handshake agreements, you know, I don't know if you'd need it. I'm not sure yeah. that's for, I won't say not to get it, but right. you know, that's for everybody to kind of figure out on their own. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I carry, I believe, like three quarters of a million in, um, you know, liability insurance, which sounds like a lot, but it's not. It's not terribly expensive. It might be a half million in coverage. I can't remember exactly, but worth it in my mind.
1: Yeah, yeah, especially just for the peace of mind, if nothing yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think we've already kind of talked about how you come up with your pricing, uh, but if you want to just give that a few more minutes. the way that you, uh, cover with materials and also, I guess how that adjusts based on the physical demands of the project.
0: Yeah. So I kind of referred to it on Nicole's podcast, but I kind of oversimplified it. I think the way I said it on her podcast was like, add all your materials together and add 20%. For wiggle room. Um, truth is, you I, almost. I think
1: you said double it and then add twenty percent.
0: Maybe so. I I can't remember <laughs> how I described it, but generally my um, system, right, is I I figure out the materials I need for the job. A lot of that is easy to figure out, like how many sticks of lumber. Some of it you gotta f- kind of estimate, whatever. If you're doing a mulching job, or you know, if you're gonna have to be buying sort of bulk materials, guesstimating on how many yards of mulch, that's a little trickier, but yeah. it's usually pretty easy, especially with the raised beds. You figure out the the number of two by sixes, you know, how, however long, blah, blah, blah. You do your math to figure out the volume of the raised bed. You know, we haven't talked about this yet, but I use a mix of compost, vermiculite and peat moss. So I do my math. I figure out how many bags of peat moss, how many bags of vermiculite, how many yards of compost. I add it all up. Then basically I get this number, right? And this is my absolute bottom, like low end. This is what the materials are going to cost me. And don't forget to multiply it by point, or I'm sorry, 1.07, right? Sales tax. Like, cause I look at, I look at the prices on, you know, the websites or whatever. Don't forget about the sales tax. <laughs> you don't <Yeah>. want to underbid <laughs> yourself. <laughs> so you get your total, you multiply by 0. 0.107. That's your bottom dollar material cost. I then multiply that by 1.2. That's what I sort of assume it will actually be. You know, that's the unknowns. That's And I tend not to like factor in hardware. So there's things like screws and, you know, wood glue and sort of these odds and ends that they're consumables, but you don't have to buy them every job. So, you know, that 1.2, that's your 20% wiggle room. And then I do that again, 1.2, that's your markup. Right. So that's my final materials estimate number you know, total materials times 1.07 for sales tax times 1.2 for wiggle room times 1.2 for markup. And that usually gives you a number that's very easy to stay underneath, which is important. You never want to end up being more expensive than what you say you're going to be. That's the worst thing. But then you got to figure, you know, labor right is this a one and I, I tend to think in terms of days when it comes to labor instead of hours at this point that's what i found is more useful is this a one day job a two two day job three day job and i'm always thinking about like well i'm going to have to do all the shopping so that's probably half a day before the actual install mm-hmm. so maybe it's a day and a half total and i kind of figure what i need to make in a day so i threw that number out about 400 right? That's ideal. That's, that's kicking ass. If I make 200 in in a day, I'm okay. You know, that's tolerable, but it's not great. So I always kind of like take my labor and figure it that way. And then you also, you really do want to charge for things like hauling and disposal. And, you know, every time you got to fire that truck up and haul a load of compost, that should be an extra 40 50 bucks, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. That makes sense. Makes sense. It's, Cause you got to yeah. cover
0: your, you got to cover your auto insurance and your maintenance and all that and your gas. For
1: sure. Yeah. yeah. And just the, the trouble of getting out of bed to go and run a load for no other reason.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally.
1: Absolutely. Um, I think this is probably one of the more important questions. It's something I don't anticipate having to run into for a long time. And I, we've kind of covered it already. You know, you've been, doing really well, answering questions in a way that it anticipates the rest of my questions. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you know who to say no to and or when to say no?
0: Yeah. Well, I'll put it this way. The the first obvious answer, like I already said, is like gut reaction. Like, I'm just not sure I'm going to get along with this person. Yeah. Right. Cause that just, if you, if you feel like it's going to be more trouble than it's worth, chances are it will be. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. and if they want everything, but they don't want to pay for everything, like that's a very obvious red flag for me. Yeah. I heard it said this way one time, um, you know, I worked in the construction business. That's what I referred to when I said I was making 500 a day, traveling out and doing jobs, you know, all across the country, you know, somebody I worked with during that job said, now you can get it fast, you can get it good, you can get it cheap, but the best you can hope for is two out of three, right? You can't get all three. So if somebody wants it fast, good, and cheap, you're never going to make that person happy.
1: 100%. Yeah. yeah. We had customers like that at my previous job, um, mm-hmm. and they most certainly were never happy. Those things yeah. you always dreaded when you saw their name coming on a contract.
0: Yeah. 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 And just the headache alone, like I said earlier, sometimes it's not worth the headache, even if they are willing to pay it, Like I've had clients where I've had to go and meet with them, you know, three or four extra times that were just completely unnecessary to kind of ease their, their concerns or whatever, which mm-hmm. maybe that's partly on me for not being as abundantly clear as I could have been up front or this and that I've gotten better at like, making my expectations you know making the, the the job very clear as to what I'm gonna do for this amount of money you have to be very very clear about that stuff because every time you have to make an extra trip to talk to somebody that's money out of your pocket and uh, like I said some of these clients that are just never ever gonna be satisfied they're gonna they're gonna take 10 times more energy than you're than your most valuable client and they're going to pay you a fraction of what that other client is going to pay you. So instead of, instead of giving everything to somebody that doesn't appreciate it, you know, give twice as much to the person that does appreciate it than what they're actually expecting, because they're the ones that are going to, you know, help you out along the way, if that makes For sense. Sure. Yeah.
1: yeah, It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, you've kind of talked a lot throughout this conversation of times that you know, you've become a lot more sure of yourself through experience. And then times where, you know, kind of early on, you like this, like, sorry, you just told kind of spreading yourself too thin and also taking mm-hmm. in people who weren't worth the trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, I remember from the interview with Nicole, that you said you started this before you'd ever made, a, you never planted a garden of your own at home. Did you have any issues? This is something <laughs> I struggle with a lot, even like with engineering still. Do you have any issues with imposter syndrome when you first got started, like getting getting going with no experience or were you yeah. just, how, how did that work for you?
0: I definitely felt that a little bit. And I'll clarify a little bit what I said on Nicole's podcast, because the truth is I had planted a garden of my own, but I had also abandoned that garden <laughs> because, <laughs> all right, little tangent here. Okay. Again, like. When you're first starting, it's hard to know if something's going to be worth it or not. So this was actually before I actually started started Easy Peasy. I had been working for a nursery and landscaping company for about a year and a half. And I got offered this job to be a live-in caretaker to where I could still do my job for the nursery, but it meant moving off the nursery and on to this other piece of property where now I had basically – two distinct responsibilities two different jobs and the guy who wanted me to live on site turned out to be an impossible person to work for and i could have probably seen it coming if i wasn't so young and naive and you know eager to please and yeah you know i was like 22 years old 23 maybe and and I lived there for six months. And the deal was I mowed the grass, you know, you know that's basically one day of work every, or one day of work every week. Right. And he had this garden space and he built a beautiful fence. He, I think he sunk like 10 grand into this fence. And the idea was I was going to be sort of the live in gardener and he As far as I understood it, at the beginning, the deal was, you know, I mow the grass, I maintain, I plant, and I reap the benefits of the garden. They have access to the garden that I grow and I get a place to live, right? Basically trading the lawn mowing for the place to live and the garden space. You know, I get, I understood it as I got to sell the surplus for Uh my own profits and they could eat as much as they wanted which they did you know and so i put like i want to say i sunk like two grand of my own money into this project you know he built a ten thousand dollar fence and that that to him was a big like that was always the 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 trump card that he could put down on the table like oh Mm -hmm. i built the fence like Yeah. Well, yeah. You're also 55 years old. I'm 23. You put 10 grand in, I put two grand in, you know, let's, let's keep things in perspective, right? Let's keep things proportional. Like I overall invested a larger portion of what I have than you did. (laughs) And, um, and six months in, I actually, I smoke a lot of weed, right? I make no bones about it. I just fucking smoked a spliff right in front of you. And, uh, Anyways, I I was smoking weed on the porch one day and a neighbor drove by, and this was in kind of a rural area, you know, a county with more meth and heroin than, than cannabis. Yet people still think cannabis is a bigger issue, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) So I had the sheriff called on me while I was living there. And it was at the point where I was just sick of trying to make this guy happy, sick of trying to meet like a middle ground with him and the sheriff's driving by five or six times a day to try to nab me in the act. right? And uh, so I just bailed, you know, so that was the one garden that I had ever planted for myself. But before I ever started easy peasy, I had had a hand in, shall we say probably a couple dozen different projects Maybe not a couple dozen, but at least 12 or 15. So I had had hands-on experience. I had also taken the permaculture design course. Yeah. Um, you know, I felt I had enough knowledge, but I definitely did. To answer your question, right? I definitely did suffer from imposter syndrome a little bit. To call mo- To call myself a professional gardener felt like a stretch, but fuck it. You know? Dressed for the job you want, not the job you got, right? Sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's something I've been realizing, kind of with that specific psychological issue and several others with the mental game. I've just got to willpower that confidence into existence. Mm -hmm. Because it's not going to show up otherwise. Like I've been doing design, like engineering design, for almost for just over four years now. Mm-hmm. And I still have that issue. It doesn't mm-hmm. just, for me, it doesn't just show up with enough experience. I just mm-hmm. have to decide that it's there.
0: So, so have you read square foot gardening? I
1: haven't yet. It's on my shelf. I'm working through uh, the permaculture designers manual right now.
0: Okay. You know, I never even read the perma- permaculture designers manual. It seemed I've like got a,
1: a... I've got a PDF if you want it.
0: <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard
1: to track down. Online.
0: Yeah. No, like, I, it's expensive. I haven't read it. Yeah. Um, but square foot gardening, super easy, you know, short read. And it was written by an engineer. You know, Mel Mel Bartholomew was a, I believe, a mechanical engineer, and he took on an engineering attitude towards raised bed gardening. Now, uh, I almost think there's limitations there. You don't want to make it too regimented and too, you know, he was all about laying out a physical grid. And yeah. planting things in a in a grid one by one square foot grid i say that's ugly <laughs> you know yeah. i'd rather mix it up but that's me yeah. that's just me
1: yeah that's the way my gardens are too it's yeah. just my, my wife can't stand it because she needs some more order to it and she wants to know like when something blooms what to expect the fruit to look like and i'm like yeah. no we'll, we'll see what it is once it forms a fruit
0: it's right. gonna be okay right.
1: just throw right. everything everywhere as long as they agree with each other.
0: Yeah. I grow, I grow tomatoes and snap peas and cucumbers all on the same trellis at the same time. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, That's everything I have prepared.
0: Well, shit, man. You know, I, I feel like I had something just, just now that I wanted, Oh, I was going to ask you if you're, if you're going to go to rogue food <laughs> um,
1: have you heard about it
0: first and foremost? i have yeah, yeah. um
1: uh, that's it's a joel's right in virginia
0: well it was the last one the next one gotcha. i don't i don't think it's been announced yet it probably won't be till next spring but just with everything you're into like I'm going to make a point to go to that conference every year. It was so fucking awesome. Um, I would highly recommend it, man. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you're listening to all the right podcasts, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying
1: to make it out to Jack's this fall for the travel podcast fall fall workshop.
0: Yeah. Yeah, man. I would love to do that too. It's just Texas is so far away, but it's almost further away for you. Yeah, I just
1: drove out there in May. I don't know if you've heard of Childerberg, but we drove out to Austin, Texas. That was eighteen hours. Wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've done pr- plenty of long drives, and I would love to get out to Jack's place. That would be that would be kick ass. Maybe I'll try to maybe I'll try to make that one
1: happen. Yeah, yeah. ticket should be going up soon. Uh, he just finally announced the date like a week or two ago, so I expect it's usually like mid to end of September that tickets go up and it's if you're not buying them that morning
0: yeah there's, yeah there's you bad, gotta no be, chance you gotta be on the ball you gotta yeah. be sitting there
1: hitting refresh when the time comes
0: well it's it's pretty wild man but i'm just like for for a while there i wasn't sure if i was in the right business like am i being paranoid and thinking that people genuinely need to start growing their own food but i'm thinking these days that question is not even a question like it's been answered yeah I don't know if you feel the same way about that, but it's like—I guess I'm curious to get a read of how you feel things are and where you think things are going.
1: Oh, man, I'm—I'm I'm not great at uh, any sort of forecast like this because, mm-hmm. like, I, I kind of bounce between a few things that, on the one hand, whoever you want to consider they to be in this yeah. situation, whoever's pulling whatever strings are going to do whatever they can get away with until they can't get away with it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of been proven over the last two years. And then like basically everything since nine 11 as well. Um, so I don't, it, I guess it just comes down to how far people will be pushed and what they'll allow to happen. And I think that, you know, if if we get to a point where they push things too far and tighten everything up too much, you know, to where there's shortages, again, food-wise, stuff like that. And, you know, people see at this point, like, you know, you kind of got us the first time around with this unknown thing mm-hmm. that, you know, it really could have been the Black Plague at first, the way you sold it. Now mm-hmm. we've had 20 months to live with it. Like, this isn't working anymore, bud. You're going to, have to, you're going to have to turn ship around or you're out of here. That's what I yeah. hope. But I, I don't know that people will react like that. I don't think there's enough people with enough backbone to get that upset.
0: It's fascinating to me because um, I almost sense like a shift in public opinion. And I'm not sure I'm right. Uh, but just based on sort of my, my job as a tour guide, <laughs> I, I interact with a lot of people on a given day. And granted, like, it's a bit self-selecting in that it's a distillery in, like, rural southern Indiana, and it's an ATV tour. You know, I take people on a side-by-side and tear it up in the woods with them and give them a bunch of drinks along the way. So, it's a certain kind of person, usually. Sure. I've been amazed in that I make jokes because it's a distillery and because we talk about moonshine and the culture around moonshine and prohibition you know it's a prime opportunity to get a read on people about how how they feel about government interference Mm
1: -hmm. it's
0: fascinating and i would say 90 percent of the people that i've taken on this tour share a disdain for government even if they're more like down-the-middle Republican, generally speaking, or even whatever. It's just been fascinating. I get all kinds of people, but I make jokes about about, you know, outlaw culture and, you know, moonshiners and this and that. And it seems like most people are ready to stand up against it just from where I'm sitting. It's, it's yeah. again, it's a limited, you know, limited perspective, but you know, and going to Going to Rogue, that's why I brought it up, was kind of empowering in that, like, not only are normies starting to question the government, right, on my Mm -hmm. tour, but there's a whole sub-community of people, you know, and I've discovered them through all these podcasts, just like it sounds like you have, but they're real, you know, they're not just voices on the radio. You go yeah. to uh, you go to the Rogue Food Conference, and it's like, holy shit! Like, this is happening. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I don't know which way things are going necessarily, but I sure do appreciate the fact that like food, food seems to be a rallying cry for a certain breed of person right now. Yeah,
1: that's it's good. Pretty, and it it, it feels cool. like a really good way. To kind of open the eyes of just about anybody. Mm. Like, you know, they're not going to follow you down other rabbit holes where you can point at things that the government has 100% done. Like, they've Mm -hmm. come out and said it at this point. They're still not going to follow that. They'd be like, oh, they had a reason or whatever. But if they're telling you your buddy across the street can't grow a cow and then sell it to you. Yeah. There's just something, I don't know, it's just something like deep down in lizard brain. It's like what the fuck?
0: Like that ain't Why that ain't okay. Yeah, yeah, that ain't right. That ain't okay. Why like, you got
1: to have any part of this? Yeah. He's there, I'm here. I got money, he got a cow.
0: I think food is the fastest way to sustainability and it's the fastest way to sort of yeah, like opening people's eyes as to how they're not doing us any favors, right? No. Yeah. No. yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. I mm. think kind of knowing more of the ins and outs, you know, through your stuff. And then Nicole and Bali with the uh, Unloose the Goose, all all that stuff she brings, um, that may be a good way to, you know, kind of gauge out where people stand with that. I guess just where they stand with where their line is. If your line isn't drawn somewhere before you can tell me what I can eat, probably not somebody I could rely on.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah.
1: That's a pretty low bar to, to meet, but there's still people that ain't meeting that bar.
0: Yeah. Well, man, I, I guess, you know, before we close out what I, what I think I want to mention, you know, and I hope this podcast is like a step in the right direction as far as this goal, but what I am hoping through, through my podcast and through these kind of conversations and, what I'm hoping is that a bunch of people start learning to do this for themselves, themselves. How do you say that? Themselves. I don't know. Fuck it. <laughs> but uh, I hope that basically what I'm achieving or what I'm striving to achieve is to build a platform for people to do this kind of work. Almost. I'm imagining an Uber slash eBay of gardening yeah. and I, And frankly, like I've, I've thought long and hard about, do I want to trademark easy peasy or get copyright or whatever IP? It's like, I don't even want to do that. I don't believe in that shit. This idea is not my own. What I hope is that over the next couple of years, people like you maybe start doing this on the side or even full-time. And by the time I get this online platform ready to go, to where it can scale up and people can start basically ordering gardens online and having contractors come put them in. I'm hoping there will be enough people out there that have kind of started doing it already that it'll just snowball. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've decided that, you know, there's various ways you could structure this kind of thing, right. You could do it as a members only um, online, you know, application whatever you got to spend a hundred bucks to be on the platform or you can make it free you can take you can take 10 percent of the sales of your contractors like uber does say but i don't want to do that you know i've decided i think what my my statement of anarchy would be is to put this usable platform out there and say anybody that has the skills and the tools and can actually complete the job Right. Use smart contracts so that people can bid on a job, do the job, get paid for the job. But in- unless they finish it, they don't get paid. You know, have this structure set up to where it's so accessible and it doesn't cost the contractor or the customer anything to use. Right. Maybe it's entirely ad based or maybe it's entirely donations based, but it's like, I want to create this thing where there's no question of the of the motive. Nobody's getting exorbitantly rich. I'm not doing this to become a billionaire. You know, we need enough money coming back to make it work. But I want all these contractors and clients to be able to do direct business, handshake agreements. You know, I don't need a cut of any of that. You know, that's kind of the vision and I hope it jives mm-hmm. with a guy like you because I would love yeah. for you to be an easy peasy contractor and not have to pay one penny to use the name easy peasy yeah
1: that's beautiful when it, whenever you made that pitch on Nicole's show that was where I really started getting excited like I the whole thing had me excited because I'm like you know I just started this'm I'm, I'm not trying to like mow lawns for the rest of my life I'm trying to work my way into doing you know, food forest, garden design, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like Mike's already there. And he's like just a small adjustment off the path that I'm already starting down. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm it, the goal's within reach. You know what I'm saying? And
0: all you got to do is go buy that Craig jig. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's all the same between me and you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's it, man. That's it. <laughs> man, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, food forest abundance, uh-huh. but they, they Mm. don't really have like a
1: a website for the connections, the way that you're talking about it, but they do have people in like every state that do like contractors and teams that do these installations. So people that call Mm. in from wherever can get hooked up with somebody local um, and get it going. So it's kind of like a stripped down version of what you're envisioning. So it may be good to, to see their website and see what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. And you know, maybe it can help you m- improve on the idea.
0: That's a good suggestion. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Food forest abundance. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. You know, I think we're still a year or two out, but frankly, I'm very tempted. I've got a couple of clients that, you know, let's say have deep pockets and, uh, and a passion for what I'm doing. That's important. And I've been very careful not to ask them for any favors yet, (laughs) you know, but I'm starting to think it might not be the worst time to approach a couple of these folks and say, Hey, I could, I could really make a lot out of say 40 K or, you know, (laughs) I think I actually met a guy at the bar the other day. That's a website developer. So it's like now I've got a name. And I talked to him at length about this idea. And he was very interested. And I said, How much money do I need to come in the door with to get a a beta right? To get a a beta platform that's halfway operational that that we could then approach venture capitalists with or what have you. He said, Well, you know, 40 or 50K would probably get you a little ways along that road. And maybe I can get a couple people to donate, right? I mean, donate's yeah. a strong word, but how great would that be? Yeah. <laughs> a donation would be much appreciated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the long-term vision. It's really cool to like meet you because you just seem like the kind of guy that would totally be a part of this whole network. If, it, if, if, and when I can get it up and running, like, yeah 100%. i hope you're i hope you're first in line man yeah
1: yeah absolutely i'm not real like tech savvy as far as like coding and web me and neither stuff, bro. but i would be yeah. i'm really good at breaking stuff and i can uh. read really well so i can i can do your proofreading and, and the site, <laughs> see if the site will fall <laughs> apart in my hands to test well, it out
0: <laughs> i tell you i hate computers that's why i'm just like i'm trying to get that money so i can pay someone else to do the programming man that's why would I learn a whole new skill if there's people out there that can do it way better than I ever could? Right. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely. part of not, not, not trying to be too much of a polymath, right? Like I can maintain my trucks and I can fucking build a garden and I can maintain that garden. But if it, if it's, if this thing's going to grow, I'm going to need to get people that are better at other things than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Percent yeah. For sure. 100% well jared i think unless you got any other thoughts it's probably a good place to wrap her up
1: no yeah yeah i think so you give me a lot of help and a lot to think about so i really appreciate you having me you know
0: stay in touch i'm not always the best at responding right away but you know yeah yeah if you ever have any questions send them my way for sure i appreciate that right on This has been Mike, the polymath with the easy peasy podcast. Come back again.